this series of God's four-dimensional love was originally supposed to be only three or four messages, but it's kind of turned into something longer, which God has the veto right to change our messages. Without that, we don't have the anointing, right? We don't have the presence of God. Um, Ron brought up a good topic. I think at some point in the future, we should really talk about what the Bible says about wine and alcohol. And I've done a lot of study on that just because it's a big question these days in Christianity. And my experience, my, my thought, we've taught some of it before, but my understanding of the scripture is it's very clear. And we can talk about that at some point in the future. But let's look at Ephesians chapter 3 and uh, read our core verse here once again. That Christ may dwell, in verse 17, in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We live in, a, we live in an age, in a, in a society today that is just... And it's nothing new. This has been going on for centuries. It's just been progressively redefining love. What does love mean? And love is something, is just a basic need that every one of us has to be loved, to be significant, and to be appreciated, to be recognized. And when this basic need is not met in an individual's life, then we begin to try to fill that void with something else. And this is what the world is doing today. Uh, They are redefining love to be something that is no longer the intimate meaning of what God defined love to be. And we talked about those four words last week, didn't we? Today I want to just talk about um, the depth of God's love. And yesterday when we were at the Benoit's house, it was really kind of a spontaneous get-together. The family came up and turned into a party, a celebration for uh, two things, for Kyle's, Pastor Kyle's ordination and then Angelica's birth, birthing. And then there was so much prayer that happened there at the house over Pastor Kyle and Angelica that I, I, was, I said to my wife as we left, Angelica's going to have her baby within 24 hours with all that prayer over that her and Sure enough, we started getting text messages in the middle of the night saying Angelica's on her way to the hospital, and uh, she gave birth to a, a good, strong boy, and uh, they're calling him Bobo right now until they come up with a name. So uh, we'd be praying for them. That's why the families aren't here today. They're all with the, with the mom and new child. But we live in a society that really has redefined love, and it's become very narcissistic. You know what narcissistic means? or narcissism. Everybody knows what that word means, right? It's a word that we hear a lot today. It's a very it's the opposite of what love ought to be. Uh, we mentioned yesterday at a little rap we had at, at Benoit's house that a healthy Christian is a Christian that understands the love of God in his life, and that love of God does not make us live in self-awareness. It doesn't make us live in self-consciousness. The love of the world, which is very conditional, creates in individuals a sense of self-awareness, self-consciousness. We begin to live in what I can get out of life. 
This is really the way the world is functioning. What can I get out of a relationship? Or what does the government owe me? Or what does the church owe me? And this is kind of a, 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 a kind of thinking that is so prevalent. We go into a restaurant and we go into that restaurant with this sense, what does this restaurant, what can they give me? And maybe we can close those doors there so you can hear the happy kids can not be disturbed by us. What does this, what can this restaurant give me? And, and uh, you know, we've all been, we've been all, you know, places to eat and we've seen sometimes nasty people and I was actually a waiter at one point and I was talking to one um, when we were out in York Pennsylvania one time we talked with a waitress and the, and the whole the restaurant it was Sunday afternoon after church the whole restaurant was filled with church people and the waitress herself came up and I said you know this is kind of interesting you know there's all these Christians here you know and she goes, yeah, and sometimes they can be the worst customers, you know. They can be the most demanding, and they don't tip. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's not good. I said, so, I, so we gave her an extra tip. And You know, we, when we are filled with the love of God, in Romans 5, verse 5, a, 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 rev, a revealing of the love of God through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God by the Holy Spirit, then we are in the process of experiencing the fullness of God. We have all things that pertain to life and godliness in our position in Christ. And, you know, when Ron was talking about that, I know many of us, and I've been in that place where I've been so uh, so um, uh, influenced and intoxicated by the love of the presence of God that we just don't want to leave that sweet communion. And then sometimes God is silent. And when He's silent, we kind of look at ourselves in introspection, like we did something wrong, but if we have if we have confessed our sin and we're walking in the light and we don't experience the presence of God, I think that is because God wants us to seek after Him. And you know, when we seek God's love, that prepares a place in us to receive it. It's like expanding a place. And true love, God's love, is a, is a love that prepares. And so that the natural love of people and all those types of love of people, they all, we, they all fall, fall short of the love of God. And when we are not filled with the fullness of God's love, then we're going to start looking for it in other people. And, you know, you can always tell a person or in ourselves when we are not healthy people, when we begin to really look for that love uh, in the wrong places. Sometimes um, on social media you can see uh, really the struggle that people have, their little worlds, their little news feed of what is the narration of their life. And sometimes you can see it on Facebook or on Twitter. Uh, I'm having one of those days and they got like a little cartoon graphic of a grumpy old person and you just know that they're, they're experiencing something. And I think that we all go through experiences but a person who, when we don't function in the fullness of God's unconditional love, then we're going to start living in our experience. We're going to be very experience-oriented. And we're going to be very people-oriented. And we're going to be very um, condition-oriented and very much oriented to preferences. You know, when, when, we, when man sinned in, in, Galatians, in Genesis chapter 3, 2 and 3, what did God do? We see that God who is filled with love, is seeking, he has seeking love. And he begins to seek after Adam and Eve. 
What were the words that God had for Adam and Eve after they sinned? Was it, oh, you people let me down. I put you in such a beautiful garden and you let me down. No, that wasn't the words. Uh, what were the words? Um, I told you not to do that and you did it. Now look what happened to you. Now you're going to live in your own consequences. And God would have been right in doing that in his justice, but that's not what he did. Uh, what did God do when, when his creation fell? God framed them in love. And he came to them and he said, where are you? That's beautiful, isn't it? Because the question here, and we could spend so much time on this point, the question that God had for them was not what have you done, but where are you? And the question that God has with us is the issue of fellowship and communion and our interaction. Him speaking to us his word in Matthew 4, 4, and we responding to his word by faith. That is what it's all about with God. Communion with God. Communion with Bible promises. Sitting down with other believers and talking about just things about God and just the amazingness of God's character and the amazingness of God's love. A healthy person is a person that is really celebrating God and other people. It's not a person that is always just um, uh, a, 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 a vacuum, a, a soulish vacuum that is sucking up attention and gratification from other people. Do you know what I mean? And that is, there is a time in our life when we need that, when we need that input and that encouragement, that edification. But God wants to bring us to a place of maturity. And maturity is, is when I'm a giver and when I'm a seeker. And this is the way it is with God. When we are looking at people, not by after their, what they've done or their conditions, but when we look at people from the perspective, hey, where are you? And then when Adam and Eve said that they were hiding because uh, they, they were naked, what was the next thing he said to them? What did he say? To, what, did he, what did God say to them? We've all been in Sunday school, right? Who told you that? Next question was who? Where and then who? And then we don't really see that word what. We don't see, like, who told you that? And we see that there's really two voices in this world. There's a lot of voices in the world, but there's two main voices. There's the voice of God in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and Deuteronomy chapter 4. The voice of God that breaks the cedars of Lebanon. And then there's the voice of the other, another voice, or uh, Jesus calls it um, another shepherd. And this is really the voice of the atmosphere that is telling us that you are naked, you are, un you are uncovered, and you're not loved. So when we look at the subject of God's love, we are really... Christ in us, we are the objects of God's love. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be so amazed at the love of God in our, that was surrounding us. Billy Graham said it this way, we're going to get to heaven, we're going to see how, how God is so good, we are going to be asking ourselves, why did I not believe God for more in my life? And we're, just, and we're all going to be in that place. Don't condemn yourself today, because we all look through a glass darkly. But when we get to heaven, we're going to see uh, the glorious grace of God in Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to be so amazed. And we're going to be amazed. Charles Spurgeon said this. There's going to be three things that we're going to be amazed about in heaven. Number one, we're going to be amazed who got there. 
I'm going to be amazed. Wow, you, you know, we're going to be surprised who's there. Like, wow, you made it to heaven? <laughs> yeah, just like the same way you, do, you did by grace. The second thing we're going to be amazed at is who's not there. We're going to be amazed, where is so-and-so? I, would, I, would have, I was sure that so-and-so was going to make it here. And then the third thing that we're going to be amazed at is that we are there. That we are there. We're going to be like, wow, this is going to be unbelievable. This is unbelievable. The amazing grace of God. The Greeks were all about intellect. The Romans were all about power. But Paul in his epistles was really all about God seeking love. When we're filled with the love of God, there's something that changes in our life. We begin to seek others. We begin to seek God, but we're seeking for others. And and this is what really God wants in our Christianity. God wants to go beyond our preferences and really show us His love. That we could have all we want. You know, this world can give you a lot. And if you know how to play the system right, you can get it all. But what you're not going to get is true love. And this is what the world can't give us. And so I just want to talk just a couple minutes about self-love. You know, what is self-love? Self-love is something that's very easily wounded. It's something that when we live in love of self, rather than being delivered from ourselves and over to God's love, then we can be easily wounded. You know, when we are wounded or offended or be, we feel betrayed, or we, you know, these are things that naturally could happen to us. But if we continue to live in it, then we can know this, that I was functioning in my own love. And God has to sometimes challenge the quality of our love by allowing circumstances to come into our life that brings us to the end of our ability to love. And when we're at that place, we need to say, God, I cannot love. And we look to God's love. And at that point, we can move forward and understand that I can love this person, maybe not emotionally, maybe my emotions are not, or my feelings are not into this, but I can love this person from the perspective that knowing that, you know, God loves this person and God has forgiven this person. The love of God is, really has a lot of amazing characters to it. Um, when we're overly occupied with self-love, then we are really the center of our day. And our questions of the day are how much I should be loved, how much I should be valued, and how much am I needed. We see this with Cain and Abel. Abel understood the love of God. He understood the sacrificial lamb and he understood at a very early age in, in, in the human history, he understood that God loved sacrifice. And what he was sacrificing was not something that he produced himself. The lamb that he was providing as a sacrifice was something that God had, that God had done through his amazing process of nature. Abel did not produce a lamb for God. Cain, on the other hand, was so filled with self-occupation, self-love, and overestimation of self that he, he, um, uh, he gathered a sacrifice from the fruit of the land from his own labor. And God rejected that. God rejected the offering of his own labor. And Cain was so in love with himself that he got so wounded when God rejected his offering. And God said to him, why is your countenance fallen? He said that sin is at the door. And what he meant by that is, is that, Cain, you're offended right now, and at the threshold of the door of your soul 
is bitterness and offense. And it's going to come into your life if you don't deal with this right now. And Cain didn't deal with it. Cain didn't lay down his, lay down his self-love and didn't lay down that self-occupation, but insisted on living in his own production. I think that when we, you know, we all have, and we know this to some measure, we have um, five languages of love. I've counted six, um, but there, but Gary Chapman and other writers said that there's five. And, you know, we interpret love in different languages. And it, by the way, it's very good for you to know your mate's language of love. And it's good for you to, uh, it's good for us to know how to love our families. What is their language of love? But you know something, not only that, but we also have a language that we love people with. And we don't realize that some of us will do things for people because we want to be loved back. And when we do things, we may not love people the same way that we want to be loved. Sometimes, many times that's the case. But many times we will do things like, suppose I want love and attention and appreciation and value, so I just get busy doing stuff because that's my language, you know, activity. I'm going to do something and then I'm going to have some value. And I think this is really in our, in our American mindset. All of us Americans have this. If I do something, I'm going to be valuable. That's many times what happens with elderly people is when, when they get elderly, when we get elderly and we're not able to, find, or we get sickly or something's happened to us and we're not able to do things, we interpret ourselves as unuseful, not valuable. I can't do anything for God and for people and I can't do anything for my family. And we hear this all the time. And we have to get out of that mindset. If you're not able to do something, if you're not able to serve in the church, or maybe you are very talented, but you just have not been called upon by God to get involved in the church in some way, that's okay. Don't judge yourself based on what you're doing. Because what happens when that day comes that you can't do anything anymore, then your self-image and your self-worth are going to hit rock bottom, right? We're setting ourselves up for a big fall if we love ourselves based on anything else outside of the unconditional love of God. What this world really needs is an understanding of intimacy. And that's what a word we began with the message with. Intimacy. Intimacy meaning like God knowing us deeply. And this is the depth of God's love. Psalm 139. It says that, and that beautiful psalm, Psalm 139, talks about the depth of God's love talks about how deep God knows us. He knows us through and through. He knows the thoughts of our hearts. And He knows us. And it says in Psalm 139 that, that, be, that before I think, God, you know that thought from afar off. You know my down-sittings, my, up, my uprisings. That is intimacy. God desires intimacy with us. Today's relationships um, have become... Uh, have become so devoid of true intimacy, love has now become redefined as something physical and something sexual or something of common interest or hobbies. God desires intimacy where God can where we give God the permission to deeply know us and then God gives us the permission or the invitation to deeply know him. And this is what this verse is. We were talking about this verse, I think, this week at the prayer meeting Thursday night in Psalm 42. The deep calls unto the deep at the noise of thy water spouts. 
The depths of God cry out to the depths of you and I. There are things that are deep inside of us that we don't understand. There are, there are reasons why we do things. There are things that, that maybe cause impulses or compulsions in people's lives, and they don't understand why. And it may be so murky in our soul that we could never even define it without the Word of God. God wants to know that. And God wants to uh, have permission to know that area of our soul. And we are afraid to do that because we are fearful that we're going to be condemned or we're going to be rejected, we're not going to be liked, or people are going to think less of us. That really is not intimacy. That is really not the love of God. The love of God means that whatever happens in our life, God has taken a risk to love us. And I'm going to finish up here in a minute. God's love took a risk. And that's what marriage is. When you marry someone, you have no idea what's in that person's soul. I mean, you know a little bit. Before I got married, I just asked God to show me what was in my wife's soul. When, that, when I prayed that prayer before I got married, uh, bef- when I prayed that prayer, she didn't know I prayed that prayer. And all of these crazy things started happening to her. All of these things. like And, I, and all these difficult things and all these great things happened to her. And, and I, I got to see what was in her soul. And, and then I told her that I prayed that. And she said, I don't understand what's going on. And I said, well, I, you know, I prayed this prayer. And she's like, thank you very much. Please don't pray that again. <laughs> she didn't say that. But God, God, <laughs> and this is really the way the love of God is, is that when, when we have deep, deep set needs, we got to go to God with that stuff and just get quiet before God and just listen to God. And just say, God, I don't know the language you're going to speak to me right now, but I need to be spoken to. I think we've all been there. We're, we're just like, we just had it. And we're just like, okay, I'm going to go, just go for a walk. That's what I do, just go for a walk. And I'm just walking and I'm just listening to God and just telling God, you know, God, I need you to talk to me. I need, I need you and I'm crying out to God. And then I can sense the depths of God, the depths of his love, the depths of his patience, the unending eternal depths of God's God's compassion and God's God's empathy and without these things we become very shallow people and we begin to we begin to judge ourselves we begin to evaluate ourselves based on things that have nothing to do with God's mind and remember this in the garden God missed fellowship with Adam and Eve he missed it he was missing that God knew exactly where they were. He knew what bush they were behind, and they knew, he knew what fig leaves they, they were using to, to cover themselves. He knew exactly what was going on. He wanted Adam and Eve to understand what he knew about them. Did you catch that? God wanted Adam and Eve to understand what he knew about them. Paul said this. He said that I may know him like he knows me, that I may apprehend him for that which I have been apprehended. Paul was talking about, I want to know God to the measure that he knows me. And that's an amazing thing. Um, Mike and Wendy Neils were sharing with us yesterday about uh, intimacy and in family and in their marriage. And he said, I love this statement he said, he said that if God is eternal, 
and he's unsearchable, and his, the, wit, the riches of his grace and wisdom are unsearchable in the book of Romans, and we were made in his image, then are we also too the same way in Christ, that you and I in Christ are unsearchable, that we're eternal, that there's so much to know about each other in Christ. Marriage and relationships and friendships and life in the body of Christ can become so boring when a person says, well, I know everything about that person. I don't want to take the time and the risk to get to know that person any deeper. But when we go through trials together, hard times and difficult times as a church or difficult times as a family or as an individual or friends, if we can just go through it, we're going to get to know things in that person's soul in Christ that we didn't know before. And that's going to be so amazing. And that's why the love of God took a risk on Adam and Eve. God's love took a risk. It was a calculated risk. And I'm going to close with this. When we understand and we become settled and grounded in God's love, when we begin, we're no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine out there and every, every wind of the newest fad in Christianity, and we become grounded in the love of God, and we're not insecure anymore about who we are. And that's the thing about leaders, and that's the thing about um, uh, people, is that we cannot be insecure. And when we live in insecurity, then... We have to justify everything and explain everything and worry about what people think about us. But when we are filled with the love of God, we can take a, we, we're, we're ready to take a step of faith in a certain direction. We're ready, we're ready to take a risk. Some, so many people don't want to take risks in relationships because they think they're going to fail or they're going to get hurt again or they're going to get betrayed. We've got to let the love of God come in and just heal us. And when it comes in and heals us, then we are saying, you know, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to take a risk in being in this church. I'm going to take a risk in letting down the walls, let the, letting the walls come down and letting people know me. Because when we take that risk, it's scary because it means vulnerability. Who likes to be vulnerable? Right? We don't like vulnerability. It just makes us awkward. But when we are in an environment of God's love and God's compassion, and we don't fear failure. We can, isn't it amazing that you and I cannot fail? I mean, yeah, we can sin. We can miss the mark. But you and I, just like if you and I take a step out onto the water, which is a crazy thing to do, but we do it because Jesus is on the water, there's no way that, I mean, we, we may sink, and we probably will sink like Peter. But there's no way, I mean, there's no way Peter was going to die because Jesus was right there. And I think that if we're taking steps of faith in our life to love people, to reach out, to, to um, be filled with the love of God and, be, and have compassion on people, then there's no way that we're, that we're ever going to ever see the love of God fail. And that's one of the great characteristics of the love of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's unfailing love. There's um, 14 characteristics of God's love, and I don't have time to read them here Here's a few of them that we read in 1 Corinthians 13. Number one, God's love is not poisonous. It's not toxic. It is, uh, it's not my way or the highway. That's the way God loves us. God doesn't love you my way or the highway. Number two, um, God's love does not behave itself in a weird way in society. It's really easy to be with. It doesn't attract attention to itself. It is not narcissistic. We're going to t we can talk about the rest of these tonight at 7, but 
God's love is something that is something that is what we need. And when we are filled with it, we're not people that are walking around looking for something that only God can give us, but we're looking to seek and to save the lost like Jesus did. And that is the kind of ministry that we have to people. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, we were reading this yesterday afternoon, Matthew chapter 9, when he looked and he saw the multitudes scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, He had compassion. When Jesus looked at this world and he saw the mess that it was in in his day, Jesus Jesus was not annoyed by the condition of the world. It didn't say that Jesus lifted up his eyes, saw the multitudes, and was annoyed. It doesn't say that Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw the multitudes and was critical. Jesus didn't say his eyes were lifted up and saw the multitudes and he became uh, judgmental. Well, they deserved that. His attitude wasn't that way. Jesus lifted up his eyes and he, had, he was moved with compassion. And that's when we know that we are in that we are growing in the love of God is when we begin to experience compassion, when we have that empathy for other people. You know, and I think that, you know, in the world, in the conservative world of Christianity, one thing that can easily lack is compassion. We could walk around with all the right doctrine and just really be like, well, you know, those people, you know, they are just getting what they deserve. They didn't listen to God. Instead of, I mean, that's what God could have done, but Jesus came into the picture and he said, he said to the woman at the well, if you knew the gift that I have for you, you would, and you knew who I was, uh, you would ask for it. And that's what we are offering today. And that's what we want to communicate to people. I want to, I've just been, I've been really praying that God would just stir us up, stir me up personal evangelism, uh, sharing the gospel with people. You know, I mean, helping people we know is awesome, but a total stranger, maybe we see them struggling, and maybe God could touch our hearts, and seeing someone that is just really in trouble in their life, and really just have a word and season for them, because that is very healthy for us. And if you're struggling with understanding the love of God, one great way to get that, to get that flow going is to share the gospel with somebody, to share Christ with someone. And just to share with them that, you know, God loves you and he paid for your sins and my sins and you're no longer your sins and you are forgiven. And if you just believe on that, and receive Christ as your personal savior by faith, you'll be born again, you'll be saved. And that's the message that we preach. And when we, when we live in that way and we walk in that, then the result, the result is, is that we begin to fellowship with a, with a, a four-dimensional love that's very deep. Amen. Let's just close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this love. Thank you, God, that your love is unconditional towards us today. And Lord, we know that your love does not, it's like your word, it doesn't come back void when it's shed abroad in our, in our hearts. We just ask you, God, for that personal revelation in our hearts how much you love we just pray God that you would bless 
each family here. Lord, we just pray, God, for a touch from heaven or for those that need it here. Just thank you we can look to, to you and not at ourselves, not at our limitations and our frailties, but we can look to you and just listen to your voice in the garden, like that old hymn, in the garden alone, in that prayer garden with Jesus Christ. Bless, Father, the cookout this afternoon and our meeting tonight. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. And now we'll just have the communion. And uh, if I could just have a couple of the guys hand it out. And while they're handing it out, let's just um, bow our heads and as we prepare to take the communion, just allow God to love you right now.